Welcome back to the Stephen Sully study. Uh, I think this is episode 44. Um, I'm joined by Mimboso, first of all, the wellness company inside Woodbury House in the heart of Soho. And I've also got my next guest, the guy I'm going to be interviewing, uh, Paul Nicholson. How's it going, uh, mate? Yeah, cool. Thanks, mate. Thank you for your time. Uh, I know we got together yesterday at the uh, in London, in Olympia. Uh, I'm going to try and say this again. The <laughs> National Landlords Investment Show. That's the long I one. think I've nailed it. <laughs> um, so yesterday was predominantly landlords, builders, developers, yeah. entrepreneurs, or anyone just trying to get into property yeah. or just be around energetic, enthusiastic people yeah. about business and property. Um, but you are 10 years into your journey. So for the... Um, for the people listening to this, looking to get education, motivation, inspiration yeah. from you, um, just a little bit of a, a background about how you got into property, because I know we covered a bit yesterday, but I want to kind of go over it again. Right, so a brief flyby. Um, I started off with a vain ambition to be a lawyer. So that's initially what I wanted to do. I wanted to, you know, climb that uh, the the corporate world. You know, with the flash pinstripe and German sports car. So that was where my heart was set. When you first qualify as listed, the money's not great. And I've always liked nice things and wanted success and to be in control of my own destiny in some ways. I, I, just on that, no, I was actually a barrister's clerk for a little while. Right, okay. Yeah, right. yeah. I was solicitor uh, qualified in property and finance eventually. Wow, okay. Uh, we did bits with, um, obviously, barristers, you know, over uh, land disputes, etc. I didn't do too much into that. Yeah. Um, but at the time, I shadowed a criminal barrister once. Right. But uh, he ended up doing slip, trip and fall cases and they were... Uh, pretty weird yeah <laughs> so I didn't do too much of them <laughs> so yeah I, I, that's what I so my first property 2008 I think I saved something like 17 grand and um, I wanted some passive income hassle free didn't want to be a landlord investor or anything <clears> like that <throat> just wanted to supplement the income so I bought a family home on the basis that it would be you know hassle free long term tenants because it was near school so the children would be going to like school like a single there. let yeah. yeah and they'd be staying there for some time and you know because the families, they look after themselves. So great, that's what I thought. A couple of years go by, absolutely hated the legal profession, hated working for someone, knew I had to get out and be in control of my own destiny. So at that point, I ramped up and started buying low-value terraced houses in the outskirts of Liverpool. Obviously, with that lower, poorer housing, poorer quality tenants, high maintenance, but I pushed through. It was a lot of stress, but you know, I got a successful little portfolio going up to 10, 14 houses from memory. Uh, sat, sat down. And you were funding that all yourself? Yeah, we're using buy to let mortgages. So okay. uh, at the time, I think it was a company called Godiva, Comsu Mortgages. Um, I used them quite a bit and uh, Birmingham Midshires. So okay. at that point, I was doing your single buy to let, you know, the, the smaller end. So when these people come to me and ask me about the journey, you know, there's some property ac- academics out there who haven't done the small turn. I've done the full spectrum now. Um, so I started off with the terraced houses, reviewed it. The money wasn't great. And so because the capital and the monthly income wasn't superb, but, you know, I was never going to be financially free. And you were rolling the, the rents, you were cash flowing them, but rolling it back into another property as, yeah. a, as a deposit? Exactly, everything. So what I always do when I was buying the properties as well was, you know, I, I had a rule where obviously you have to work with a good bank who wants, you know, seized, you know, that... The thing is selling the bank also that you're going to set out with, you know, yeah. what your desire is, what your ambitions, your plans are, so they can buy into you as well. You know, it's a, it's a two-way interview. You know, some people get scared about going to banks. Yeah. But, you know, you've got to interview them as well to make sure they fit with your portfolio and what you want to do and your plans. So I, um, well, I, I had a golden rule all the time where I'd take what I believe the end value would be. Right. 
get 70% of that figure, knock off my costs, give myself an overhead on budget, and that's pretty much where I had to be buying these properties. Okay. So when I refinanced as well, I'd be getting my cash back, also be having monthly income coming through. So if you always get your money back, and on some deals, you know, if you bought really well, you might make a bit, and then that could reinvest back in. So you've got your capital going back at all the time. Yeah. And the monthly that you've been up. Yeah. So gradually, you know, you're getting a bit of cash flow going. So I ended up going into, um, when I reviewed and test houses a bit slow, I went into the, like, the Victorian mansions on the outskirts of um, Liverpool in a place called Kensington. If it was Kensington, London, you know, you'd have to come and do this on a yacht, but yeah. it wasn't. Uh, it was the no-go area. That's what okay. it was known as. And, um, so, you know, people warned me away from it. But using strong due diligence, you could see what was going on. Yeah. Um, eventually, I got the, you know, dubbed the name King of Kenny because I was the only one doing anything there. Um, Why did they warn you off, like? Well, at the time, it was like a no-go area. You probably, you know, I don't know London very well, but, you know, there's probably areas in and around here. You go, oh, that's a bit rough, you know, don't oh, go. Oh, so there. it was known as being, like, uh, crime, yeah. you know, you know uh, gangs and stuff and violence, or? Um, not really. It's just, like, a really poor housing, not a desirable like income. deprived. Yeah, you know, um, you know, your tenant profile was DSS. And, you know, when I first started <laughs> buying these areas, they were housing benefit tenants, but because I'd done the research beforehand, I knew what infrastructure links were going to be improved. I knew what other developers were going to be doing there. I knew the council's bringing in you know, a multi-million pound regeneration. And also you could see that universities, you know, they were really nearby. And in um, where Studentville, as I call it, what was known as Wavertree, well, it was Studentville, it's now moving because obviously the dynamics of the city have changed. Students were there, but obviously because it was tight numbers a lot of them flooding price increases going up so because it's proximity to the universities this place Kensington you also knew I thought there'd be a student market there I uh, spoke to a couple of letting agents and he said oh you know no chance but I thought well great I'm going to do it and they did the students come so these you know when I set out I was buying say terrace houses with 32,000 uh, they had DSS tenants paying £400 a month you know now those terraced houses are now anywhere between 95 to 115,000. We now get up to 95 pound per week per room. Right. So you can imagine the return I got there. Yeah. Um, but there, I came out of the houses and went into the Victorian mansions, the bigger blocks, either converted them myself or renovated really poor conversions. Um, but what was great, and it's something I've always tried to do, I try and create the location, be the first. You know, you have that saying location, location, location. I believe you're paying a premium to get into there. So I, I wanted to create it. So I was the first to Kensington. I got my little model and it worked and I banked back to it. And also the valuer, you know, saw what I was doing in there and he supported the values that I believe could be there. And then I literally went on a really aggressive buying spree before anyone else come in. Okay. Um, so, you know, when I got that structure put in place, I snapped up a load. We then developed the brand. So the brand started flying. At that point, you know, I probably got about 150 properties in and around that area. Wow. Um, but again, Liverpool, you know, especially from people from London who are watching this, got a lot of attention. Liverpool got flooded. Uh, I think to myself, I think it's quite saturated and it's very investor-led, which I believe has created an artificial bubble and in price inflation. So, you know, I've moved away from Liverpool now and now I'm um, spearheading the regeneration of a town centre in St. Helens. Yeah. I um yeah I've, I've spoken to a few people I don't know it so well I've only been to Liverpool once yeah I thought it was a really really cool place um 
great night out actually yeah, I went to a, a, a club called is it Playground or something like that oh the Hilton uh, yeah, yeah that's yeah, it yeah, yeah it was cool I think I went up there to watch a football game or something but anyway the European champions huh European champions yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, I um Someone said to me about they're trying to do HMOs up there and obviously the price point in comparison to London is good. But like you said, it's quite competitive. So how important is it, do you think, to go into not necessarily brand new areas, but areas which are less competitive? Or if you are going competitive areas, how can you make yourself a bit different? Yeah, I mean, on that point, for example, um, this Kensington area, I'm on about up the road, there's a place called Kensington Fields. And that, that's one that really got loads of attention. It got that much attention, though, from investors, and a lot of, the, a lot of them are from down south, and that it caused a lot of concerns for, one, the council, but also lenders. So, you know, following the, the herd, so to speak, and being a sheep and following where people go, you know, I don't believe it's the smartest move because the area becomes so saturated with investors and these HMO types. Mm. The council removed permitted development to convert the HMO, so you okay. always need planning now regardless. Okay. So that removed that, but you know, I did bonus where you could just crack on. But also lenders, you know, lenders saw the exposure that they were having to the area. And some lenders now have removed that L6, L7 postcode right. from lending. So, you know, you've got to make sure you do do your research. Don't just flood into an area where others are, because eventually, you know, you could be stuck, you know, someone who's maybe bought a property there and now wants funding or wants to sell it may struggle because availability of mortgages aren't there. So I've always gone to new areas. You've got lower entry price points. So one, you're de-risking the investment, so to speak, because you've not got as much capital at risk as buying these more expensive areas. Two, because you bought so cheaply, you can afford to get in and do a really good job. You know, we, we try and do ours to the highest possible standard, give as many amenities as possible. So now, yeah, we aren't in the greatest locations. You know, it's not prime city center, but the savings in terms of rent to the client makes it an option. Yeah. And um, a survey by, I think it was Knight Frank um, recently found that tenants now aren't opting for the prime location. They went best in class. So the, what that means now, they look sort of regardless of area, the best quality that they can buy. So again, you know, and we found that, you know, in, in this uh, town of St. Helens, we're now achieving rents that we cut that are outperforming Liverpool, right? Um, in Kensington, and again, you know, because we found that there is the key demographic we want. The demand was there. You know, it's almost like that saying, you know, if you build it, they will come. You know, yeah. it is coming through. And as I say, it's making sure you stand out. And what a lot of smaller entrepreneurs often, not just in property, you know, and it's, I think it's the British way where you feel like you don't want to shout about your successes. Yeah. You know, we're quite reserved, and yeah. we don't want to piss anyone off or make anyone yeah. together and I think that's pretty you know you've got to get past that because if you don't tell people what you're good at and what, what you're doing where to find how will they ever know Yeah, you've got to say your message out haven't you yeah you have to um, I know he's not probably the best person to refer to at this present point in time but I'm going to say it anyway from a business point of yeah. view not from a political point of view Donald Trump I've actually read a few of his books I've, The Art of the Deal yeah. and my favourite one is Think Like a Champion because yeah. uh, it's very, very short um, chapters and he's all about getting to the point and stuff. But anyway, he says in there, he says, you must learn how to promote yourself. Yeah. People call it bragging, people call it showing off, but at the end of the day, no one's going to promote you like you will promote you. Exactly. It's the most important thing. I mean, we did. A, we had a press release in the local papers when I bought a couple of these um, 
buildings in St. Helens, you know, because it was the retail hub, you know, that town centres were. Um, now, you know, town centres are never going to be the retail place anymore, you know, because of lax planning permissions that allowed retail parks to pop up. Um, the onset of the internet, obviously. We shop in different ways, but the older generation don't like change. Yeah. So obviously, we got a press release about another building we bought, and I got called, and I get called a greasy-haired narcissist and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> Because they're promoting yourself, you know, the one-man one man band salesman. If you want to call me that, whatever. But, you know, we're going from strength to strength in the area. And, you know, people are going to get jealous. You are going to get knocked. You are going to get criticised. And it's just important not to take it to heart, you know. And it, if you get a bit wobbly about it, just don't read it. But you've yeah. got to put yourself out there. Yeah. You've got, you know, it's a must. And my last three deals have come to me because people know what to do and where to find me. The last three purchases I've done in that town centre, I didn't have to do anything. Yeah. No agents. The owners have rang me and said, do you want to buy this off market? Yeah. I dictated the price. It's really good. So um, you built your own brand. You built a, a really good reputation. Now the opportunities are finding you. I think it's, I think, uh, I think with anything that you do, once you get that, you're establishing your sector and you're carving out your own path. I think people are going to recognise that and approach you. Um, so you're only 34 years of age. Yeah. And you started 10 years ago. Yeah. So you're 24? 23 when I bought my first one. 23, yeah. okay. 28th of November 2008. All oh, right, <laughs> wicked. Yeah. Okay. Um, so single lets at first. Yeah. Saved 17 grand. You were very disciplined and, let's say, methodical, but you worked really, really hard by churning the money around. Yeah. Did, I've been on property courses. Yeah. When I first got into, I got into property by kind of chance, you know, the accidental landlords. Yeah, yeah. But I never really hit it hard. And it was only a couple of years ago when I had a moment on my friend's yacht, actually, who's yeah. uh, mentioned yesterday, largest private care homes in the country. Yeah. And I was quizzing him about, you know, property and what he does and everything else. And he said, why don't you just do what I do? And I was like, okay. He said, well, just buy property and, and cash flow as much as you can. Yeah. Whether that's a care home, whether it's a HMO, whether it's that, that. He said, just buy property, basically. Yeah. So I thought, right, what I'm going to do, I'm going to start going on property courses just to get a bit of understanding. Yeah. And there's a common theme, which is, uh, buy, refurb, refinance, yeah. and then either sell on or, or rent it. And I, I rent, I keep everything, yeah. and I think you do yeah, as well. Yeah, I've never sold the property. But I've started to learn, and correct me if I'm wrong here, and maybe it's my mindset, and I'm, I'm happy if I'm wrong to be corrected, but it's not always the case that you can buy something, refurb it, and then refinance completely, certainly what I'm finding down south. Yeah. Do you think that is correct, or do you think uh, do you think that it depends on the area? In terms of what, in terms of dealing with a lender, for example, or yeah, like finding a unit and thinking, right, they're so undervalued that if I put some money into it, I'm going to get all my money back out. Because when I first got it started to try and do the HMO thing, yeah. I was thinking everything they've taught me, not everything they've taught me, yeah. but partly what they've taught me is I don't feel like I can achieve it. And I thought, is that my mindset? And is it because I'm inexperienced or is it because of the location? But then people are telling me to go to Liverpool, go to Manchester, go to Newcastle, yeah. and you'd be able to achieve it. But then I'm thinking, it's so far away. Yeah. So you're kind of in that paradox of like, where to turn. And I'm saying it from experience, yeah. a small amount of experience admittedly, but I'm also hearing it from different property communities. So someone who's 10 years into their journey, what is your kind of take on it when when you first start out as well you know you, you, you sort of get your teeth a little bit into a deal you know you sort of also have that bit of emotional thing you, you want it to work as well and you try and batter the numbers and you know yeah. you, well I can get this deal and through my experience 
God, you walk away from so many deals. Mm. Um, and again, it comes back to discipline and that mindset. Um, you know, you want to do a deal, that's great, but you can be a busy fool. And I have these set criteria we, we spoke about uh, before. Um, you know, when I'm buying it, it has to fit my strict financial criteria. And if it doesn't, you know, you've got to be disciplined to throw it in the bin. And, you know, you find yourself walking away from a lot of deals because they don't fit. But as I say, you know, in this property game, you know, you've only got a finite amount of cash and each deal needs to work. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was talking to someone, someone coming for my advice yesterday after one of my talks at the um, National Landlord Investment Show. Okay. And um, he, he bought this property right near where I was previously buying up in Liverpool and, uh, you know, paid 95 grand, paid cash. It's now worth 100. And he's like, I want to start and create a portfolio. I said, well, you're not going to get that money back out now. That's a deal that you should have really walked away from. Yeah. You know, if you say it's worth 100 now, refinances on sensible loan to values. That's, again, I think your friend mentioned that to you about being yeah. sensible. You know, you can go and get stupid 85, 90. You know, I've never gone past 70. Yeah, but so if you use sensible lending criteria, he's going to get 70 grand. He's just tied 25 grand up in his first deal. Yeah. Now he had 100 grand. In four deals, he's wiped out. Yeah. He's got a bit of monthly cash. Yeah. So you've got to be sensible and really choosy, you know, if you if you want to um, grow. And that's why I went down to, you know, secondary, third markets and I bought, you know, the really poor condition properties because you've got to add value yeah. in every deal that's you what do. I do yeah. yeah. If you're not adding the value, you know, you're not gonna get you're not gonna get any money out of it, are you? You've got yeah. to work for it. Yeah. So I mean I've seen some of the stuff you do on Instagram, you do a really good standard. And Thank I think you. you've got a good concept there with every room having its own suite. Yeah. It's more desirable. So you're sort of future-proofing what you do as well. Mm. They're going to be desirable for a long time to come. Yeah. You know, if you look at some of the HMOs that have been done previously, they're just a room. Well, I, I've got to tell you this. I, I'm, I'm, I'm on the hunt at the moment for, for more because the one which we've got in Gillingham is about to finish complete. Yeah. And... Um, the, the agent said to me, right, there's a, already a licensed HMO. And I said, I said, okay, fine. I don't normally buy things which are already licensed yeah. stuff. I like to buy something that's a little bit more sort of needs TLC and yeah. then, you know, add value and stuff. But I said, okay, I'll go and have a look. It was on a Sunday, last Sunday. So I went there. And big old unit, um, licensed seven beds. And I was walking around this place and it was like almost stripped back and it stunk in there like of... Um, bit of cheese bit of cigarettes combined and it was not a nice smell yeah. I was like Jesus I said um, oh, it still stinks they must have moved out of here like, like how long ago like a couple of months ago he went no just last week I went what he said just last week I said and you're telling me this is a licensed HMO he went yeah none of them had en suites they um, I think seven people sharing, sharing two bathrooms and it was it was not far away from like almost a squat yeah. and I'm thinking that's crazy because if you can do a product uh, and make your units like really clean, really professional and really comfortable, surely that's a winning formula. Oh yeah. And it's also, you know, the type of tent you're going to attract as well. You know, previously, you know, rental properties weren't to a good condition, you know, and you know, you had that slum landlord concept, Yeah. you know, in this day and age that, that isn't going to work because we've changed as a society you know we used to have you know this um someone's home is their castle and you have to own your own house you know that's probably your parents yeah mine certainly is but now as a society we're more transient we want that flexibility you know young people today you know 
they might work and go right. We're going to work in Paris now. Yeah, they don't want to be tied to a mortgage. Yeah. and you know, and you know now people are you know having children later on in life, getting married later in life. You know, society's changing. Yeah. So now, but they've got disposable income. Mm. So they want somewhere nice to be. Yeah. And I think that's what's triggered this huge, you know, city centre. Um, scale type apartment block buildings, you know, because the demand's there from these younger professionals. Yeah. On that note, it's a little bit sort of uh, off subject slightly, but I, I even heard or read an article that in Canada, they've built the first block of flats without any kitchens in it. Their argument is that people just order, order like Uber Eats or Deliveroo or things like that. For me. Yeah, it's just like quick. And uh, I, at first when I heard it, I was like, that is absolutely crazy. Then I thought, actually, they're probably onto something because the times are changing. Yeah, well, I, you know, I read one about um, on one apartment block, uh, the developer had an account set up with Uber for your taxi, so you didn't even, so it didn't need car parking. Wow. You don't need a car. Um, and, you know, I've read ones about, because obviously Amazon about on about delivering via drone, aren't they? Yeah. So one of these ones had an Amazon drop-off point on the roof for parcels. Crazy. So, you know, some of these developers are trying to move away, you know, move forward with the time. I mean, I think some of them are a market employee yeah. and quite clever, but um, it shows you the way people are thinking yeah. towards all those convenience because, you know, the likes of YouTube, Netflix, etc. you know, their success is because we want things on demand. Immediate, yeah. yeah. You know, and it's the convenience factor. So, you know, it'd be interesting to see when your, your kids say developing years to come where... Yeah. Where the market's like then. Yeah. You might not be buying any kitchens. Yeah, maybe, maybe, because save me some money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so 10 years in and you've got roughly 200 yeah. units, 200 homes, and that varies from like flats or... Yeah, flats, terraced houses, semi-detached, we've got a few commercial units. Uh, I try to limit the commercial, to be fair, because uh, the type of commercial we got, they're not, you know, town, um, yeah. city centre, it's high street. Yeah. Um, you know, so, but you, where, where they are, our commercial units, they are on a visible high street. So planning, unfortunately, right now is not, a, not an option to yeah. convert. Um, but yeah, so that's me. We are residential focused. Okay. Um, I'm by the end of the year looking to acquire two more yeah. and I will be uh, two or three. So I'm either going to be nine or 10 properties in and I'm going to feel great about that. But how does it feel to own 200 properties? I mean, that's... That's pretty remarkable, mate. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, you don't think about it because yeah. you always look at the next. So, you know, I'm still not even happy with what that is because you're like, because you look at the next thing. Yeah. You know, you, if you thought about when you bought your first one or two, and to think yeah. you've got 10 now. Yeah. But when you get to 10, you're probably still going to be. Oh, looking, of course. Yeah, I want that 20 now. Yeah. I want, so you don't really look backwards too much. Well, my, my, my friend, guy referencing him again, um, company or him's worth half, half a billion. Um, got a private jet got a big sunseeker yacht helicopter got the biggest house in kent event i mean the list goes on yeah yeah but he still is up in that office at seven o'clock in the morning and working every hour that god sends and he absolutely loves it and there is no there is no you know um uh, turn off switch he's just going to keep yeah. on going keep on going I think now the money is just just part of it, and it's just that keep that focus, that ongoing but, but focus. We said the money's a scorecard. Yeah, it, it's sort of a, um, an expression of success. Yeah, but when you get to a certain state, it's that success, that brand, that reputation. That's the competitive element as well. You know, in the industry he's in, he, he still wants to be better than that other person coming through. Yeah, that competitive edge still keeps you going. It's like if you ever uh, read Shoe Dog. Yeah, uh, it's Nike. Nike, yeah. yeah, you know, and he, he... I've listened to the Audible only, only partly. And, you know, his desire to beat Adidas. Yeah. 
and that's what's kept him going. Yeah, you know, so it's that. So that money is a side issue. It's you know that, that thing that you want and that vi- and the end vision. Yeah, that's one thing I've always said on all my talks is everyone who sets out needs to have an, a, a vision and a why. Yeah, you know, without them, you're just going round in circles. Absolutely, I, I'll second that. Yeah. So, are you developing now yourself from from I uh, or are you just doing re- refurbs or uh, um, you're converting things? Yeah. Well, so we haven't come out the ground. So what I mean. I like to do deals where the, I can get a quick turn on the money. You know, I can be in the development quite quickly. Uh, I don't come out the ground building uh, apartments. That's going to take me say 12 to 18, 24 months. Isn't something for me because I'm a landlord at the end of the day. I don't sell my product. Yeah. Um, so at the moment we've offered in this new town center, we bought a five story retail building. That was 15,000 square foot. We converted that into 15 apartments and a 4,500 square foot yeah. ground basement retail. Um, the next one after that, called Nicholson House, that was a 16,000 square or 18,000 square foot office block, 1950s. We converted that into 18 apartments, penthouse level, uh, level having a, um, balconies on it and four retail. And the two developments we're on now, we actually, it's one building that we split into two different developments. Um, that's a 35,000 square foot office block. Okay. Converting to 28 apartments with 11,500 square foot rooftop terrace, first of its kind for the borough. Cool. And seven retail underneath. So we are developing but converting. And you've got an in house uh, construction team? Yeah. Okay. Uh, when you first started, though, obviously you had to go out there and find your power team, as it as it were. Yeah, well, they weren't a power team, but you had to yeah. go out and get a team. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, when I first started, when I'd, I'd buy these really poor condition properties, you know, I'd, I'd be there scraping the wood chip off myself. You know, trying to save as much money as possible. I used to do the rip out myself. Um, I remember my cousin coming in at one point trying to tile a bathroom really poorly. Uh, we, you know, painting the walls together. Um, so yeah, I did a lot in house. But yeah, I'd, anything that we subbed out, um, I did on fixed price points. Okay. Because you know what builders are like. You know, yeah. you, you let them run away on a yeah. bit. You know, they'll fit two doors a day. Yeah. Where if you say twenty quid a door. We'll have 20 up in a day. Yeah. So, you know, you're saving money there. And then and also incentivizing them at the same time. But going, you know, in terms of picking your build team, you know, you can go on websites, etc. I don't think you can really beat word of mouth. Yeah. My whole team, even over the last 10 years, has come from recommendations. Well, um, even the gold mine area that we're in in Medway, that was over a conversation at one of the... Um, uh, I was at a mentorship uh, day at Progressive Property actually in, in Peterborough and I was speaking to a lady who was on our table and she was asking us what we were going to do, said thinking about HMOs, told her an area that we thought we might go in. She went, why don't you go 10 minutes down to, down the road to, to a place called uh, Gillingham in Medway? And I am right, I've heard of it because my friend used to be a footballer, he used to be a pro footballer for Gillingham, so yeah. I knew it a little bit. So you go down there, there's, there is a market for HMOs, it's not too far away from London, so you're going to get people travelling in now. There's obviously the professional football club, there's a university, there's schools, there's a big hospital there, and you're going to get all these professional jobs. So with that, I went down there, checked it, went, went round, pretended to be a tenant myself to have a look at yeah, the HMOs, yeah, yeah. and I thought, you know what, that one conversation has led me now to, yeah. to this area, and thankfully I've, I've acted upon it and started doing it. And then with the developer, it's also the same. There was a lady doing the HMO um, strategy in, in that area, came across her, looked at her product, and she put me onto her, her builder, and we've, we've been hitting, right. it, hitting it off, yeah. Yeah, I mean, my, one of my first, um, when I took off into the, going into the apartments, that was, at the time, I was a lawyer, um, and the guy I, I bumped into, you know, he had these big aspirations for bigger developments, but he had all these deals across the table, 
And I saw like a block of apartments there, and he's like, oh, I don't really. But from meeting him and seeing that one picture, that's what pushed me forward. And, you know, we, and we bought out a mini portfolio. Wow. And that pushed me onto something else. So it is those chance conversations. Yeah. And that's one thing when at the, the show yesterday, when I gave me speech, we had this five person challenge. Okay. And it's to meet five different people, um, you know, brand new, you know, strangers. And then from there, do follow up, follow through, you know, drop them an email. You know, follow up, have a Skype call, coffee, whatever. You know, and, and by doing that, you know, one day you might have synergies together, but that one chance coffee could lead to anything. I think it's so important to be out there and networking because, as you say, that one conversation you have sets it on your way now. It's so important in anything that you're doing. It doesn't matter with property, business, or just just going out there to the gym. Yeah. You know, that's a good way of networking. Um, so at that point when you had you found your builders, yeah. When did you make that decision to now bring them all in-house or develop your own one? Because that's, that's a kind of transition moment, isn't it? Yeah, well, I've, I, one of the things I talk, I liken the property business to, you know, the Henry Ford production line. Um, so when I started off, it was literally just me and one other guy, um, you know, who was doing bits of work, mainly most days with me, you know, he didn't work a lot. And then as we grew, the need then to get more subcontractors on, and then when we started these town centre regeneration, well, just before that, I did a block of 12 flats up in Liverpool before I went to complete the development up in St. Helens. And that's where that need shone through that, you know, I need the project manager full time, you know, because okay. the business was growing that far. Sort of I got, uh, organically grew as we bootstrapped using the rent that was coming in. So that it's sort of, you when you grow in the business, you sort of worry, you know, think, oh, wow, what? It sort of just it does happen as well around you. You know that need yeah. comes through. Um, so when we got onto those bigger projects, we needed everyone on board full time. You know, it's a very high profile iconic buildings in a town centre. So you know it's not something you could come and go to because while I'm building them, I've obviously already got the few hundred properties to look after. Yeah. So you know, um, it, at that point, I realised I needed a strong construction team. And you got your own sort of managing uh, letting agent. We've inside your business. Yeah, so we've got um, what is team, what we call Team Nico, um, and that's you know my own letting agents okay. for my stock. Yeah, good stuff. So uh, ten years in, what's the next ten years going to do? What are you going to do? What's your goals, visions, desires? Well, the vision is—I mean, I still not from the outset. I always had this vision to create this big brand, this big business. You know, almost like a legacy, and I think that's why you know we initially set up as Luxor Group. Now we're rebranding, changing that through to Team Nico, which Nico's obviously my nickname is Nicholson. Nicholson Group and Nicholson Names going and everything. So I still want to push forward to the vision of creating something bigger, that hopefully a, a long-lasting legacy. Mm. Um, but also because I, we've sort of invested a bit into my personal brand, speaking events, etc., we have a lot of people reaching out to us. Um, so we've had tons of that where mainly a lot of beginners or people stuck and plateaued around 10 properties don't know how to push forward. Um, you know, because finance can dry up a little bit the bigger you get. Um, so you need to go down commercial lending routes. I was going to ask you, actually, it was more of a, a personal question. Let's just say I get to uh, the 10 properties during this year and then things do become a little bit more tight. I hope touch would yeah. not because I'll be still doing my, my, my art business yeah. and stuff like that. But let's just say I get to a point and for some reason the, the money hasn't come in. What would be your advice to someone like me so in order to scale? Your high street lenders might. Um, you know, I remember I was going through, well, like I mentioned before, like Godiva mortgages, I was using Birmingham, Midshires, and, you know, those sorts of 
high street retail, you know, buy to let specific mortgages. They were, um, you know, some of them allowed you three products with them. You know, she jumped from three, 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 you know, you had them dotted round. And then I went and worked quite closely. I had a really good contact at Lloyd's, a guy called Trevor. He's one of the best yeah. bank managers I've ever. And he, he, he believed in me and bought into my vision. So he allowed me, he, he, we wrapped all the companies up into a corporate banner many years ago. Um, and we got commercial funding. So it was a commercial package across the portfolio. Okay. Um, and that's something, you know, I don't know what your funding is, but, you know, if you've got these high street lenders, etc., you might need to put them in a banner into a portfolio loan. Okay. Um, and it made things nice and easy. And by doing that as well, obviously, lessens the burden on admin. You've got one mortgage to pay. And because, obviously, you're getting a larger quantum, a bigger loan across several properties, you can also negotiate better rates. Okay. So that's where I end up going. I, I wrapped up in Lloyd's. So when you say wrapped up, not just in, in, in a company, because got, we've got Tungsten uh, Management yeah. Group. So, but you, where's your, so your lending might be a couple of different lenders. Yeah, like it might be Kemp Reliance and people yeah. like that. So I, I took, I had, you know, me Birmingham Midshires, me Godiva mortgages, <laughs> stuff like that. We were in a corporate, and then I went to Lloyd's, and Lloyd's lent me up to, I think, three million. We ended up going up to them with. In, in, in a company called Luxor Estates Limited. Okay. Um, and that's where that was, you know, on that wrapper. And then what one thing that, you, you know, Louis at around 3 million, you know, they did it with a lot of people went, right, that we want a bit of period of consolidation now. Yeah. So again, you had to start to reinvent the wheel and go to a new lender. So what I did at those points as well, because um, you have, obviously, because you've got a lender in there now. Yeah. You have um, ranking issues. Okay. So I then set up another company and bought properties in that one. And then I could give a company first charge and debenture over that. Okay. Without having issues in the first company. Because obviously, if you've got a lender already in a company and you come in with a different, smaller lender. Yeah. Both, most lenders these days want a debenture, which is, you know, basically a mortgage on the shares. They mm-hmm. can take control of the property, uh, the company, not just the property. Okay. Uh, but then the two lenders have issues with ranking. You okay. know, so Lloyd's would want to control the, you know, in my case, Lloyd's would have wanted to control the share disposal or whatever there because they had ranking priorities. Yeah. So I set up new companies and, you know, literally each bank has control over each company that way then. Right. So people reach out to you for like mentorship and guidance? Yeah, well, a lot of them are, you know, picking me brains. Yeah. So what we've now, we're creating a Nicholson Academy. Okay. So, you know, a, a bit like your progressive of the world, you know, obviously they're a huge player in the market, but, you know, giving my advice and teaching them what I did, how I started, because, you know, it was only 10 years ago that I had the 17 grand and now we're at 22 million pound portfolio. Yeah. But I haven't just gone straight into bigger deals or, you know, I literally have done the organic 32 grand terraced house, 40, 30, you know, 90 yeah. grand poor block of flats. Yeah. You know, we've done the whole thing and now we're doing, as I say, the commercial to resi conversion. Yeah, amazing. Um, I went to two different uh, training courses and I have to say the last one, which was uh, Progressive Property, was really good. Done a mentorship for a year. Yeah. Uh, actually, the reason why I started my podcast is because of Rob Moore and yeah. he actually mentors me on the on the uh, personal development side of things. Yeah. Um, how important do you feel it is to um, either go on courses, listen to podcasts, get mentored, read books, you know, self-education? Well, I, I think it's essential. I mean, I had, I was in the fortunate position that I was a lawyer in property and finance. Um, while I was doing that, I also had a property services company. Yeah. So, I, I you know, we did basic maintenance, gas saves, electrical yeah, yeah. certificate, so an EPC. So I had an insight from every angle, from the bill project to obviously the legal side. So I had a bit more knowledge than most beginners. But, you know, 
when I started out, I, I used to think, oh, bugger it, I'll learn as I go. It's probably one of the worst things I've ever done, you know, sleepless nights, the stress <laughs> and the money loss, where if I had had a mentor, if I'd listened to podcasts, I'd go, oh yeah, I won't do that mistake. You know, like the guy yesterday I was talking to who, you know, jumped in, bought that property. If you'd listened to some of my podcasts or some of the other podcasts out there, you know, you would have realized that's a poor strategy. Yeah. But now that's 25 grand, you know, no one likes to walk away from that sort of money. Definitely. So it's important to, you know, as you say, knowledge is power. Yeah. Um, so you're going to build your, build this brand, this academy. Um, so 10 years time, sort of give me a bit of a, like, let's say a, a, a vision. So you've got this academy. How many properties do you think you'll be at? And what, where do you think you'll just focus in the UK or do you think you'd be driven to go to other places around the world? I know my fiance, I'd like to go to LA, but I think that's a bit of a, uh, a difference in opinion there. <laughs> I don't think I'll be buying 32,000 pound houses <laughs> over there. So um, It is a nice place, I've got to say. Oh yeah, it is the lifestyle, isn't it? But you know, I'm addicted to what I do. You know, I've got this obsession for it. So I, I think I will, you know, I don't know if I'll still be investing in the areas I am. It might be different areas. Always looking for new opportunities and what's, as I say, the new next up and coming uh, area because I don't like it when yeah. an area tracks because, you know, it pushes prices up, budgets get pressed, uh, rental yields get depressed. So, you know, who knows? You know, if St. Helens catches on, I might be uh, flicking somewhere else. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm always looking for areas as well. But in terms of years, yeah, I still want to be doing the same thing, hopefully onto bigger and better developments. Um, you know, I'd like to get, I'd like to one day put a tower up. But you know, one that, that that'd be great. Nicholson Towers. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's got a good good sounding ring to it. <laughs> yeah. um, so outside the property, what else do you get up to? I mean, you keep yourself fit. Yeah, we do. We go to the gym. Um, I try. I don't beat you up in the morning though. I get up <laughs> early. I'm up for about half five. Um, me and Christine about go to the gym together. On you know personal training, etc. In the mornings. Um, so we do. about at the minute, you know, it's because we've reinvented our business again. So right now. I mean, we've been doing two in the morning jobs in the office right. because we've literally had to reintegrate all new staff. Uh, we're opening up our second office up in St. Helens. So a lot of it is work related, but we like to try and get away little breaks now and again as well. Okay. It's important to recharge the batteries, isn't it? Yeah, I was going to say, because when you're running like all these properties and you're looking for new things, you also want to have like a relationship, yeah. uh, social um, relationships as well, education, you're doing talks, you know, you're doing podcasts, you've got all this stuff going on. It's important every so often to step back from it and look at your business and also reflect. And I think if you can do that in the sun as well, it's two birds, one stone. Yeah, well, we just got back off a holiday and it's when you when you do have that time away. Obviously, you've got to trust your staff while they're there. You know, you're always going to be checking up, but it's why you're away. You're also, after a, you know, a few days out, you get new new ideas, you get new breakthroughs. Um, you know, actually, I'm going to do this different when I'm back. Yeah. And, you know, it's having that time away that, you know, I let you see, um, you know, lets you see where errors are to improve things because you have had that opportunity to reflect. Yeah. Um, one thing that stands out, well, personally, when I talk to you and even seeing you on the social media content and stuff, you've got this energy, you've got this drive. Where's that come from? I think I've always had, I think, you know, my mum and dad have always, you know, pushed us, both me and my brother as well. But, uh, you know, for example, playing football as a kid, I was a small chubby kid, but I always made sure I was in the team because I had that mm. bit more, you know, I had to go that little bit further. Um, so I've always had a drive and, you know, this need for success. Not just, you know, it's not a financial thing, it's, you know, that competitive edge I've got. Yeah. Um, 
And as I say, you know, getting up as you get up early in the morning, you're having that mind frame that sets me up for the day. Mm. And, you know, some people are hard net. I wouldn't get up at five o'clock. I'd be knackered. Yeah. I feel like I've got even more energy. Yeah. I feel like I'm teed up. You know, you've got those endorphins going, you're teed up for the day. I think if you've got that routine, I've got uh, an episode which is called Routine of a Champion. And I think that if you can tick a lot of things off in the morning, like when I get up, I get up at one minute past five, I go to the gym for six. I'm there for 15 minutes to an hour, depending on what I'm doing, whether it's boxing, sparring, weights or something like that. And on the way back, I'm listening to a podcast. And this is, you know, probably between seven and 7.30. And I always have this little smirk on my face, which is there are so many people which are still asleep right now I've not only got up, I've done my apple cider vinegar shot. I've seen I've, that. <laughs> I've, I've, uh, I've done my boxing. I'm now listening to a podcast. I'm going to get back and have a cold press juice. And I've ticked off loads of little things that most people wouldn't even do in their day. And they're not even up. They're yeah. still asleep until 8, 8.30, maybe even 9 o'clock. And I feel that if you can keep on doing that and compounding it, you're going to have an advantage over most other people. If, you, if you're up, say, half five and other people get up at half seven as well, you know, if you're in the same industry as someone else... If you do that Monday to Friday, you've got an extra 10 hours a week. Yeah. That's more than a working day. Yeah. You're bound to accomplish more than them as well. Absolutely. And it's so important to stay one step ahead, isn't it? Absolutely. Look, money's not everything, but it certainly does. It does, like, I've been broke. Um, I've had money. I've gone broke again. I've made a bit of money. And I can, I definitely prefer having a bit of money, to be honest. Um, and you can support more people. Rob Moore says the more you make, the more you can give away and, and help people yeah. and I definitely support that um, the things that you like to do with money obviously buying nice stuff investing into nice things what's the kind of goals let's say materialistic things what, what are the kind of things that you like to do um, like watch you know what I'm a, you know I am a watch guy I like nice clothes etc but you know at the minute because we've got this I've got this burning desire to create this big you know everything's literally ploughed back in yeah you know so you know no big LA mansions right now um, <laughs> everything goes straight back in it's this drive to you know get more out of the property sector yeah um, I, I achieve that vision you know we keep reinvesting everything back into the business uh, you know we've just gone through a rebrand so everyone's yeah. now going to be having Team Nick on our corporate colours on etc so yeah. a lot keeps going back in so there isn't you know after doing that there isn't a great deal left yeah Fair enough. Do you ever look at like someone like a, a property giant tycoon or even just a massive entrepreneur, someone like Richard Branson, for example? Do you ever look at them and think, not trying to be them, but trying to take the best bits from them? Is there anyone that you really look up to and think, you know what, they're cool or that individual, that institute is someone I want to replicate? I, well, I think you've got to take elements of people. You know, I've read I, I, all I do, and Christian will tell you, you know, I, I read business personality books all the time look for little points you know you've got like there's a guy called Ryan Searhans who's a, a broker over in New York he's, he's now one of the biggest real estate brokers in the country over there you know you've got Grant Cardone's so you can take little elements from everyone can't you you know Richard Branson's book I've read and there's a guy called Ray Delalio uh, the principal's book and I, you know I read, I read a lot, and I get a lot from his book and his book he, you know he's run one of the largest hedge funds in the in, in America and he puts the principles of how he deals with his employees and how they want back and how they create a family. Yeah. Off the back of reading that book, I created our own community handbook in work. Yeah. How I want people to deal with each other and treat each other, you know, being open and honest. And, you know, we've got a, a 10-page document there now which regulates how you should treat others in the business. Okay. Um, and it's just not a one-way thing. I want them to reflect back on me to make me a better person as well. Yeah, that's good. Really good. So over you, the course of your, your 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 journey, what would you say has been probably your best moment or the most the the moment you got that euphoria moment? Thought, fucking, now this is great. 
Um, I've had, I mean, when I, when I was, when I got me uh, the run going up in that area of Kensington, you know, no one was on it, you know, but we had support from banks and valuers on what, you know, we believed the, the values to be. I mean, that, that was a great moment. Um, the next one was, you know, buying, what really put me on the map was buying this former tiring building. It was, you know, located right opposite the main shopping centre in St. Helens Town Centre that the council bought for 27 million. You know, it's not too far away from that wall like we're looking at. There. Yeah. It was that close. So, you know, that was quite a good comparable for me in terms of evidence. But, you know, that got me on the BBC radio. Wow. Got a few radio stations, MSN covered it on the internet, etc. Uh, all the local papers grabbed hold of it. So, you know, that was a good moment as well. Good. And um, on the flip side of the question, what's been your most hairiest moment, a, a, a moment where it's been quite challenging? There's no such thing as failure, but the one where you felt, right, I've learned a really valuable fucking lesson now. Yeah, I mean, I've had a few of them. <laughs> you know, from dealing with builders to, I mean, one of the most stressful things is, I mean, the day of the value, for example, as you'll know, you know, when you've, when you've done a project and you're dealing with a bank, yeah. you know, we've had a couple of hairy situations where you've had a loan lined up and maybe the figures haven't stacked the way you thought, you know, because when you're doing this, you know, it's, in our game, it's different from being an employee where, you know, you're not dealing with your money. Um, so the thought of doing a project for several months and the money might, you know, the, 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 um, the value, what you believed isn't supported. Mm. I mean, that's a pretty hairy moment and you know because if it comes back short by a long way you know if you've got it wrong you've lost a, a fair few quid on it yeah I could imagine yeah anyone getting into business but specifically property for the first time I know probably a lot of people have asked you this and I've heard this question a bunch of times but um, what would be the type of advice or tips that you can give anyone okay I'm going to paint a picture someone's maybe in their early 20s they're frustrated with their current lifestyle, frustrated with the current job. They actually hate it and they want to make a dramatic change. They're listening to you and thinking, you know what, this guy has got a drive, he sounds super happy, you know, things are going really well. How can I, how can I replicate something like you? Where would they start? Well, I think, you know, before you dive in and do anything, it's make sure, you know, you believe you've got the necessary knowledge to undertake the project you're looking at. You know, okay. that's essential. You know, it's listen to the types of podcasts, mentorships if you need it reading books etc but then after that is you know due diligence you know don't just don't you know because you, you everyone starts off you've got that itch to get going haven't you and it's buying that wrong property or something you know do your due diligence what's going in the area what you know understand what you're trying to achieve yeah don't just buy a property because of face value it looks good you know what's your future program then what, what are you going to do after this deal and will that stop you from doing it you know an example is buying the property at a wrong price yeah you know, but it's understanding if you are, you know, you're starting off, you've got X amount and I want to grow a portfolio of this. You know, you've got to understand how can you recycle that cash back into the business. Okay. And to do that, you've got to understand what's the end value, what you're trying to achieve. And the other one is, you know, you've got to have a vision. Uh, you know, so many people start out and just, I want to be my own boss, but, but where are you going? So you don't jump in your car and drive around the streets, do you? Just yeah, not it's know like when you're going. the reason why, why do you want to do that? Why? And it's understanding that end, that goal that you've got. And then going about achieving it, you know, with there's so many people who buy properties and, you know, they've got a few, but don't understand why they don't know what they want from it. Yeah. You know, if it is just to supplement your income, great. But then you've got to have your investment strategy paired to that vision. Yeah. You know, like mine at the start was, I just want to add to my salary. So I bought that family home, you know, if I started buying these low, poor terraced houses, 
you know, I'll be sat at my desk getting phone calls all day with leaks coming through roofs and all sorts. Yeah. So it's understanding what you want to achieve. Yeah. It's a little bit like uh, we were talking about art earlier. We've got um, a guy here called uh, Christopher Ellis, but goes by the artist name called Days. Behind us is uh, Richard Hamilton, collab with Dark Circle. Shout out to them guys. <laughs> little plug there. Um, and it's when you're when you're when you're selling art uh, to people, whether it's investment collection or it's just to decorate their home or, or office, you've got to know who the type of demographic are going to uh, be purchasing it. And I think it's also the same thing applies with renting a property, selling a property, doing joint ventures with, with people. Yeah. You've got to know who your demographic is, and then design your kind of sales process, maybe your pitch, your brand, and also your your formula, yeah. you know, towards that target audience. Yeah, and being clear. I, I mean, going back to what we're saying about that art, for example, it's like if I want to dive into art now and we had that piece there, I couldn't just buy that because I haven't a clue what it's worth, what, yeah. what, what's going on. And people buy property without knowing. You know, I'd never go into the art industry without having the knowledge of who that artist is, what it's likely increase in value is going to be. You know, so it's having that knowledge, as I say. You know, I wouldn't have a clue how to value that. Yeah. <laughs> um I think we covered most things. The one more thing I want to ask more about the concentrating on property is I know no one has a crystal ball, but in your opinion, you know, being in property for some time now, you seem like you've got your you know, uh, finger on the pulse. Yeah. Where do you think the property market in the UK, very broad question this is, uh, but where do you think it's going to go over the next few years? Because some people are complaining about potential recession or depression. People are now talking about change of government. People are now talking about change of policy, Brexit. For me, this is going to sound really arrogant, but I've never really cared giving a shit about all that kind of stuff. I always think that if you've got the right attitude, you can make something happen and you can make it work to your advantage. But your opinion, what would you think is going to happen to the property market in over the next five or ten years? Well, I agree with you. I mean, it's not something I can control anyway. So you've got to have this optimi- optimistic, positive stance. Um, you know, even if the property market, you know, changes, there's opportunity there and adversity comes opportunity. I started buying in 2008. I mean, whew, you know, most people wouldn't have touched 2008 when I bought my first property. So in bad times comes opportunity anyway. Um, you know, Brexit, for example, you know, as a developer right now, that's caused mayhem yeah. with the price of materials. Yeah. You know, I'm constantly fighting with these suppliers and they go, well, we, we've had a knock on. I think a lot of them are using that as a great excuse. Yeah. to inflate prices, you know, um, oh, you know, British gypsum are now only limited plasterboard. You know, yeah. That's bollocks. Yeah. But, you know, it's a chance to put some money back on the bill. So, you know, it has pushed up materials. Um, but in terms of the property market, you know, and also I think it's all relative. So it depends what sort of property you're buying and where. And you, would, would you agree with me when I say that if you've got the strategy of... Um, buying and retaining and renting provided you've got a good product I mean surely that's almost recession proof because people are going to want to rent they're going to some people might even lose their home so they're forced to rent people are going to be very very conservative surely it could be kind of like a safe haven strategy yeah um, you know that's exactly my strategy as well you know as long as you've got a decent rental yield now um, and you know you're on I mean that's why I do preach about having sensible loan to values making sure your interest rate that you get on your loan is a sensible one and what I do man are fixed you know I've got some 10 year yeah, fixed loans are. I know what my payment is I know my rental income is always going to beat that now obviously lenders will have security reviews 
on your loan to value buffer to make sure, you know, even if the economy does drop slightly, they'll want to see your, where your buffers are. But, you know, I buy at the lower end of the, of the property market anyway. So, you know, when things do go volatile, you know, it's the higher end stuff that seems to get a knock on. And again, you know, notoriously, when things are bad, it's developers who are trying to sell. And when mortgages dry up for buyers, that's when they run into bad times. Yeah. If you're looking to hold a property, you know, someone paying you X, you know, five, six, seven hundred pound per calendar month, it's nowhere near as catastrophic at that, at that top end. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, so, lastly, where can people find you? So, if they come onto our website, yeah, www.team-nico.co.uk, that's N-I-C-O, um, dot com, sorry, everything is on there. So, they can, uh, yeah, team-nico.com. So, on there, they'll find all our developments, uh, what properties we have to let, and all our socials on there. And we've got a weekly vlog out as well. Okay. Um, and that's on our YouTube channel, Team Nico underscore UK. Wicked. We try and make that entertaining as well as educational. It's the day in the life of a property developer. Okay. Um, so it's, you know, from everything that I do in a day, including the rental department, but also the developments, etc. And, you know, looking around, trying to find new deals and obviously the personal branding like we're doing today. Cool. And is there like things where people can like joint venture with you or you don't do joint venture? Yeah, well, we're, we're, you know, one of the things we're looking, we're just speaking to a few people. I mean, we were with a guy yesterday and so talking about race you know, many yeah yeah you know we you know one thing i because i like i don't like to dispose i like to hold property as we've discussed you know and I, i'd also like other people to get involved so i want to try and create a, a collective investment scheme a fund almost where you know people can benefit from these larger scale developments because yeah. a small smaller player can't access them yeah i want to open that market up to them so yeah. they can come and invest with us on these larger apartment buildings yeah. that we're doing maybe a bit like a grand card down the fund yeah, like a syndicate almost yeah that's pretty much where you know what that sort of structure that card own capital is something we have yeah to, you know, i'm very that. interested in that as well yeah and it, you know you're, you're owning together and also it takes away that risk of dealing with lenders yeah you're not dealing with the bank anymore you're in a fund together um you know and you all proportionally in so over a longer period every person in the fund also gets capital mm-hmm. and they can get monthly dividend payouts as well from the rental income yeah cool um the Stephen Sully study is my ongoing study of successful people and people that I believe are got the right attitude and they're onto something and they've got a purpose in life and you, you definitely fit that bill. Um, it's quite obvious like when, when I'm speaking to you, you're proper engaged with what you want to achieve. I leave every single podcast with be happy, never content. I've got my own reason why I say that. But if I were to say that to you and you give your own interpretation, what do you think that means to you? Being happy and content. Be happy, never content. So, well, be happy. You know, you've got to be in a good place, but you've always want that little bit more at the end. You know, when you're content with something, that's when you sort of switch off to the world and, you know, you you, you rest on your laurels, so to speak. So, being happy, be in a good place, but make sure you crack on and look for the next success. Nice one, Paul. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you for your time. And um, I look forward for this to coming out in the next couple of weeks. Brilliant. Wicked, Thanks mate. Your time. Thank, Thank you. Mate. Thank Cheers. You.